Good afternoon and welcome to Business Eye this wonderful Friday afternoon. Uh, and we have uh, a really busy studio here today. Um, we obviously have Joe's with me uh, and we have three. Good morning. That's great. And we have three wonderful guests, um, three female, very powerful uh, guests. And I think the common theme that links you all is health, diversity, inclusion, and all the important things that sit around that. So what I might do is I might start, um, first of all, with Paula. So Paula Ralph, and you are originally from New Zealand, um, and you are trained as a pharmacist, and you do all sorts of coaching around the health space. So, so welcome. Welcome. Thank you very much. It's good to see you. Great to be here. Great. And then we move to Gillian. So Gillian, uh, Gillian Fagan is founder and CEO of Under the Rainbow. Yeah. Uh, and that's all about diversity and inclusion. And you're very welcome. And we'll talk more about that in a bit. It's great to see you. And then finally, Asumpta Gallagher, you are the business, a business owner of a business called Best Practice. And I'm not going to describe it. I'll let you describe it in a bit. So it's okay. welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Lovely to be here. So it's great to see the three of you. So, Joe. We have, we're, we're outnumbered this week. I always like being outnumbered. <laughs> it's my favourite time of the week, being outnumbered. By amazing people yeah, as well, yeah. so we're not really outnumbered. We're, no, we're, we're inspired. We're with our peers. Exactly. Our peers, indeed. Exactly. So, how is everybody? Everyone good? Ready Great. to go? All good. Will we, will we switch on the on button now? So Let's do that. that test on <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll switch on the on button now. Yes, Friday afternoon. Or Friday, yes, Friday afternoon. So, look. These are all in the same space, so I felt that was a bit of synergy between each and every one of you. So let's get cracking. Asunta, tell us what you actually do. Okay, so my business is Best Practice, and I specialize in the area of general practice where I help GPs to run successful and profitable practices thus allowing them to do what they do best, which is to provide excellent patient care to their patients. I didn't think that doctors needed anyone. I thought they were all perfect. They're not. They provide a perfect service, but I suppose they're human like the rest of us, you know. Um, it's, it's quite unique, I suppose, in a way, studying medicine, because you do so in order to provide patient care. And oftentimes you don't think about the other things that are involved in a business, particularly like general practice, it often isn't even perceived as a business. Yeah. Uh, even unlike dentistry, you know, dentistry would be perceived as a business, but general practice isn't. It's, it's quite interesting because you, you hit the nail on the head there. People, you know, they're doing what they love. They're a doctor. They're trying to heal people. Um, yes. And it's a business. And it sometimes is. they don't realize it's a business and it needs all the things like accounting and it needs to have admin staff and all the different things that go with every other brick and wall businesses out there. Absolutely. They still have bills to pay. They still employ staff. They have to deal with all the things that any other business does. So therefore, you know, that's something that has to be recognized. And oftentimes they care, obviously, more about the patient. That's what they do. That's what they love. As you say, that's their vocation. Yeah. So uh, that's where best practice comes best in. Practice. Wow. Gillian, it's interesting because mm -hmm. you've set up a business really in the last was it year, year and a half. Under the Rainbow, yeah. Under the Rainbow was only launched um, between March and July this year. Yeah. Um, in response to the demands that we were getting. I am a psychotherapist, so I completely relate to what you're talking about as sometimes best practice and mm -hmm. it being bringing the business in as opposed to the vocation. Mm -hmm. And because of, I suppose, client demand, corporate demand, 
Um, myself and another psychotherapist I work with, uh, Dermot McCarty, launched Under the Rainbow, which is a diversity training company. And also we promote corporate wellness and workplace well-being as well. But before that, you you were sort of in a practice as well. Yeah. And you were trying to find your feet. And yeah. within every business, it evolves. It yeah. actually changes and moves on it as well. What was the biggest thing that you found quite difficult in when you were setting up? Well, time management initially, I was working, I founded a core therapy in 2017 and I was working a nine to five as well while doing that in the evenings. I only went full time into self-employment last year. And when I took that leap, it was the time management of everything, finding um, a premises to work from, getting the insurance in place, making sure everything was registered and then the advertising, the social media, the accounts. And the accounts and everything as well. Yeah, so yeah. So it's the skills. When you go to college to learn how to be a healer or to be a doctor or to be a therapist, you're taught just those things. You're not taught how to run a business, how to be self-employed. And that's a completely different skill set. It's interesting because yeah. I met with uh, somebody senior at the Royal College of Surgeons uh, mm. a week ago. And uh, they're investing really heavily in their new leadership center down in Sandyford, which is not an area I wouldn't, I just would have thought it was just pure medicine. But leadership and business skills are critically important, yeah. you know. And often overlooked. Absolutely. So it's good to see they're moving in that direction. They're investing quite heavily. So, yeah, I'm a creaky chair here that yeah. I'm picking up the no, sound and everything. We're all listening on. to his creaking. <laughs> it's squeaking. Are you sure it's the chair? It's, it's, chair. <laughs> it's my whole bones <laughs> creaking. Paula, with yourself, you were running a very successful pharmacy um, over the last couple of years in Australia. Um, or New Zealand. It was Zealand. actually in New Zealand. <laughs> it was, well, okay. Yeah, I did that deliberately. <laughs> really? <laughs> and, and, and you left there and you've after coming over to Ireland and you've set up a practice which helps people prepare themselves for operation. Yeah. So in my pharmacy, um, I was seeing a lot of people who were stressed out and they were doing the best they could with what they had and what they knew. And also with the visit to the doctor that they had, which was only, you know, six to ten minutes. But they were still really, really worried about surgery. And um, I, I sort of thought there's got to be more I can do for these people. So there's so much you can do to prepare yourself. And they actually say that it, the attitude of the patient is as important as the skill of the surgeon. So going into surgery, feeling confident and prepared, you're going to heal so much faster mm. Yeah, but I, th I think that right across the board with the industry that you are all in, it is important that it is the attitude of the person that goes in as well, that mm. if you're with someone mm. and they don't have the right attitude, it's, they're going to fail or have that problem anyway, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Throws up problems and issues yeah, issues you on don't really well. want anyway. Yeah. Mm. So... What what would your average client be? What's, what's, who, who's knocking on your door? Because when, when I've seen you on LinkedIn, it, I kind of raised my eyebrows and went, unusual, it's, it's very unusual <laughs> to, uh, you know, I deal with a lot of coaches and it was the first surgery coach that I actually came across. Yeah, yeah me too. Um, I think I'm the first surgery coach I've come across as well. <laughs> so I deal with a lot of people who um, know that they can do more for themselves um, I'm kind of, because I've got all that year's experience as a pharmacist, there's 30 years in there, I ha and I've also done a good 10 years of mind, body, human behavior, um, and neuroscience training and study, yeah. I've been able to kind of create a bridge between the two. 
so that there is a, um, a great balance of the medical science and the mind-body stuff and, yeah. and create things that actually can be applied to people yeah. if they do them and use them. And who you, your main clients, would they be private individuals or yes. would you get organisations coming to you at all? Because I would have thought… At the moment it's private, but goodness… They should be coming to you, the yeah. organisations. What's stopping them? They don't. They don't know about me yet. That's why. <laughs> but, but there, there it is. The three of you are very holistic as well yeah. in, your, mm-hmm. in your approach, you mm-hmm. know, and which is good, really good to see. Um, and also, what you are doing. Okay, it's the individual person that you could be speaking to, mm. but it's also the corporate businesses that need you. And when I say the corporate business, it's the people like the insurance companies, you know, mm. Leia and, mm-hmm. and Canada Life or whoever. Mm. But if they sort of get to have conversation with yourselves, it's affecting their customers and their customers' customers as well. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's and, and the holistic approach, I think it's, it's growing, isn't it? Is there a more of an awareness for the holistic approach? It has to grow. It has yeah. to grow. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I suppose in, in all our sort of individual fields as well, because it's our absolute area of expertise and we know it so well, <coughs> we can we have that extra thing, which is empathy, mm-hmm. you know, um, and I find that that's something that works, you know, very well for me, particularly in general practice. So mm-hmm. if I'm working, um, except now I'm not working in it, I'm working on it, so I, I'm looking at it from a different perspective. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I can very much recognise where they're coming from um, because I, I worked in that space for 20 years. So, yeah. so it's it's so it's much easier then to adopt that holistic approach, mm. you know, which I, certainly does work better. I, I can actually almost feel it in the studio. I can feel your wisdom and your you know your expertise, but also that empathy. It's quite powerful. That's after this. Oh, no, sorry, I have. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> but but I, but I wonder. I wonder. So I can feel it, and Joe can feel it, because you know we're kind of we've had different awakenings whether it's drink induced or whatever but we've been awakened you know but i wonder i wonder how many organizations still need a real help in in you know take the diversity area how much pushback is there really still there in the market i see you're smiling yeah i'm smiling i am um, it's curious because we we launched under the rainbow as i said in response to client demand but that more so came from the individuals that were coming in for therapy yeah. Myself and my colleague haven't come from a corporate background and there is a third partner in Under the Rainbow who is um, also working in the civil service. So the three of us worked in um, a corporate background for, I think the minimum experience we had was 21 years in a sort of financial services right. environment. So we attracted a lot of people coming in with workplace stress, discrimination, workplace bullying. Yeah. And it highlighted the need for training in companies and how this is not okay. What might seem like office banter can really be persecution and can really have an effect on people's mental health. And being ignored, actually, in the States, there have been court cases that if you're ignored or sidelined, that's actually legally bullying, you know? Well, in the States, it's changing a lot as well. They're they're trying to really push it out. and, And I think the government are very much anti-diversity in, in some, in some mm. cases. In the States, I, yeah. I was laughing about diversity awards in Saudi Arabia, if you've seen it a, yes. a couple of months ago, and all the awards were given to men. 
Yes. <laughs> so, a diverse group of men, yeah. yeah, yeah. They, were, they, were all, they were all lovely. Yeah. But there's another interesting aspect, which is the gender balance in organizations. There's been studies out there that say that where, you ha where, where, where the feminine is involved in business and closing deals and all that stuff. So well, I, I don't say female, I say feminine, because mm -hmm. we all have masculine. But and as you know, but when feminine is involved in deals and business growth, you're more likely to have sustainable business outcomes than if it's just masculine. But yeah. I don't know what businesses aren't balancing that up yet. I don't know what you've They're seen. working on it, but no, not they're not there yet. There's yeah. still a concept of women on boards and shattering a glass ceiling and yeah. getting gender quotas, which brings its own uh, yeah, debates. Yeah. But it is still a work in progress, very much so. And then there are still some areas like engineering and construction, which are very male heavy. Absolutely. Paul, are you going to I kind of see that as, yes, you say the, the feminine aspect, I see that as bringing the heart into the leadership of those companies. Mm, yeah, yeah. When there is heart involved, yeah. um, you have compassion and you can lead with compassion. Yeah. And there are leaders of this world, and I always like to bring up Jacinda Ardern, our Prime Minister of absolutely, New Zealand. She absolutely. absolutely leads with a compassionate heart. She does, yeah. With courage, which is a, a yeah. gut gut thing yeah. and um, a really clever vocabulary yeah no and, you're right she's a great example heart -led. yeah absolutely mm. it's interesting we're going to just uh, take a quick break and we'll come right back i want to uh, talk about this more broadcasting to south dublin on 93.9 this is dublin south fm you're listening to joe dalton on dublin south fm community radio with a global audience and welcome back to Business Eye, folks. We are just talking uh, about gender balance there, on, uh, actually on the break. Uh, something you were just um, mentioning something there. You were driving up in the car. Um, and I was, and how the conversation started was that I could never understand why men were paid more than women and why there was this equality. Um, and Paula, you were, again, you were jumping in and said, look, the balance had to be changed totally. But something to just kick off with what you were telling us. Yeah, we were just having a conversation around, you know, attitudes towards men and towards women in the workplace. And one of the theories that we talked about on the journey was that women sort of, I suppose, once there was a time once you got married that you gave up work and you stayed at home and you looked after the children. Um, even actually before you had children, you were staying at home in preparation to have children. Mm. Uh, and then sort of suppose everything started to change and women came back into the workforce for showing the value that they had, no more than men had. Um, but I think it kind of lessened their value somehow that they were now not only working in these jobs that were, and, and you know, providing an amazing kind of, they're really good at what they did, but they're also juggling home life and children and everything. And I'm not sure that that it is given the same value. And what, what women were doing were, was trying to do everything and probably are to this day, but managing it a little bit better. So we're still evolving. I think it's, it's still an evolving thing, you know. Mm. A big part of it as well, historically, is that the three limbs of government, of state, church, mm -hmm economy and politics have historically all been male driven and yeah. and th that needs so in those organizations there needs to be huge change but i think it's not going to be driven by those organizations it's going to be driven by people like you mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I do agree and as, as you were saying again paul I'll, I'll bring it up that you know you said that you need to disturb something really badly before you can make yeah. the changes yeah you kind of have to agitate and disrupt in order to 
yeah, create the awareness and then come back to centre. And that's as and if you look at that as well, that's what Steve Bannon believes in America and the way they use for Brexit as well. And then he yeah. believes really go in and disturb things so much that you can that you can change them and you can see that's working in a way for what's happening but getting uh, you, you, you talk about you know women they, they went home when you got married you gave up the work but before that even happened you know women were working were working in jobs i think there was no high roles for women in jobs and my sister who was an entrepreneur um a, a business leader in ireland in the 70s uh, knew that she had to play with the men's games you know mm -hmm. she wore instead of skirt she wore mm -hmm. business trousers and played the game with them and she was a very successful uh, business person but she then was also could see and she stood up and fought for the rights of women in the 70s and, and the 80s because there was there was that ego ego-driven business that men thought they were better than women. Mm, ego is a big part of it. Yeah. I'm really interested in, I'm always interested in the international aspect. So New Zealand, Paulie, you know, you're from New Zealand. You know, I think I'm right in saying the first pensions came from New Zealand, first equal voting rights. Yep. Everything came from New Zealand, basically, yeah, yeah. from an enlightenment. How does New Zealand, how does Ireland, and be as open and honest as you can and frank, Ireland compare it to New Zealand in this diversity perspective? <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> thank you, Joe. <laughs> um, the way I feel about it, and it's just my perspective, is that Ireland has the weight of history on its shoulders, yep. and you're a very, very old country and associated with it, old Europe. And so you you hold that history. New Zealand's very young. Um, are we 150 years old, really? Mm. I don't know. Mm. Um, we don't seem to be pulled down or, or held back by that history, we can just yeah. go off and do it. And the history of the church that goes with we that as well. We don't have that really at all. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so the the church isn't involved. It's not involved. But I, 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 I agree. From which my is, that's a good answer. Yeah, yeah I agree <laughs> that we've got a lot of history. But if you look at the independence, that we're still a very young country compared yeah. to the likes of England and Germany and France when it comes to. Independence. Like you've got threads pulling you yes. Yes. into yeah. all of that. We don't have those threads. So, oh, yeah. so what? Just talking about contraception with someone the other day, it's horrific how, in my lifetime, women my age were um, being um, arrested yeah, yeah. for buying condoms. Yeah. God, I was selling condoms in my pharmacy back then. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But, yeah, but it's, 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 I'm sure there's even pharmaceuticals in, in do, uh, pharmacies in Dublin that will, will refuse to sell them. Do you know where? And, <laughs> and I was selling the morning after pill um, over there. I can, you can sell that. And um, there are people who, on their own principles, won't sell it. Mm. Yeah, but it's, so, yeah, but it's it's it's. If you look back to, if you want to go back to Devalier, even if you want to go back to history, mm. there there was the idea that you know we were self sufficient. So when mm. the rest of the world were eating Mars bars and marathons, we were eating macaroon bars and our mm. own stuff, and it was it, we were was contained, mm. and then it it started evolving. But not getting too deep deep yeah. into it yeah. and, and pulling it back is that. The industries are changing and people's mindsets are changing. And there, there is, as let's call it, is it the second Celtic tiger? People are starting to be more open and people are starting to feel that they can actually say what they want to say now than what they could in the 70s and 80s. Mm. And there is the, the growing concern. 
that companies feel that they need to be doing more? Or are, are, are am I delusional thinking that companies feel that they need to do more? Well, there is the cynical approach that perhaps in one way it's a sales pitch to yeah. try and bring in diversity into corporates and do diversity training and have women on boards and it's a tick the box exercise and there is that viewpoint mm. but having said that I, I think what you're saying absolutely is right and I think because of those three anchors that mm. really were the core of the Irish state yep. there wasn't as much diversity mm. and now there's a lot of diversity that, like we're not as governed by church as we once would have been yeah. and I think at the core of every human being is the need to belong and the need to belong is the need to fit in. Mm -hmm. So if you go outside of the tribe, you're excluded automatically. You don't fit in. And mm -hmm. how you reconcile that with yourself, mm -hmm. you know, whereas now if we're allowing a lot more diversity, a lot more self-expression, a lot more types of existence to coexist, yeah. people don't feel as isolated. And I think that when it comes to diversity in business, the more a broad range of people with different talent pools and different backgrounds, the better. That's a great better response. For business. That's a great can, response. I, can I ask you a question then? Mm. What is box ticking when it comes to diversity? <laughs> it is said that uh, corporates who are more diverse have, have reaped the benefits. And one of the main key benefits is staff retention. Okay. If you accept your employees as they are, they're not going to go looking for a different job elsewhere. And that can have up to 14% savings in a company when it comes to recruiting, training new staff. So even in terms of balance sheets, it makes sense financially for a business to be more open and more diverse. But there's the other side now. Millennials will do research on companies before they go. They, they want mm. to know that there are benefits for them, that there's a social aspect that comes with the job. A lot of work... Well, I guess I, I came from a financial services background. The nine to five was not a nine to five. So it was important that you could have a social life within the company that you're in. A lot of companies would have sports and social clubs to kind of meet that need. Because younger people are, are more interested in environmental issues, um, corporate social responsibility, having a social life through work, they are going to research a company. And if a company is seen to just be one true wayism and the way oh, it's wow. always been and not challenging a status quo, it's not going to appeal to younger people who have much higher education than I would have had at 18 going into the workplace and, and have such a broad range of skills as well, are probably well-travelled also. I think that's as a, co a country is doing well mm. as well and people will look at them. In the recession, people would take any jobs and mm. they would. the research was, okay, I'm getting paid yeah. mm. and, and they'll take yeah. it. But it's great to see that these procedures are being put in place on it as well. And what might start off as box ticking to yeah, have right. a better financial impact on the company or retain staff or call in or pull in new talent will have benefits then all around. So while, yes, there's cynicism around, oh, let's be seen to do corporate social responsibility, let's be seen to have diversity and inclusion department. And it does exist. Having said that, the benefits speak for themselves. Sumter, what about the medical profession? So, you know, I'm aware of, you know, the recent changes on um, on abortion and, you know, a number of medical practices are saying that they're still not prepared to be part of that, that change, you know. How how progressive is the medical profession now and likely to be in the future? Or will there always be the blockers? I, I think a lot of it is, you know, preparation. The whole the whole sort of situation around abortion just happened very quickly. It was starting in January. A lot of mm. 
GPs weren't prepared for it. And again, I suppose it, it's that thing where people are, are much more informed. You know, social media has a huge impact on it. So there was a lot of, you know, obviously people coming out who were anti-abortion um, and they were you know, protesting outside GP surgeries, which is not which is not ideal. So that added to a lot of the confusion, I suppose, mm. Mm. around that time. And GPs didn't want to attract that negativity. Well, I, think they, they I, think, I think that GPs are changing as well, because if you look at years ago, you know, you mentioned nutrition to a GP because yeah. part of a you know a healing process, they would have blanked it. Or any holistic, than, anything, they, yeah, they'd anything look holistic. at it now. And, yeah, they, they and also, you know, you, you speak to GPs 10 years ago about home births and mm. they would have locked you up. For sure. It, yeah, on it as well. For sure. So. Whereas now they're much more open. They're much more open to, to, you know, what will, you know, enhance healing. Your GPs are very unique, really, in that they're the one group of physicians that care for people from the cradle right through to the grave. Mm. So they're, they're, they're on these journeys with people now and they are realizing that it is worth exploring the holistic approach and not just healing through medicine. Mm. It, there's, there's been so much change. I mean, it's it, coming from New Zealand, okay, and you come from that nirvana state of, you know, real advanced <laughs> way of looking at things, and then you come to Ireland and you look at the, the history. But even in the 20 years since I first came here, you know, gay rights and abortion and divorce. It's not like there's something out of the, 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 the far west. <laughs> <laughs> and yet that's only in the last five years. It's only in the last five years. And it's just, mate, you know, my, my daughter's, my younger daughter's just going to university and, you know, she has gay friends, bi friends. And I found out that recently that Dublin is the gay capital of Brazil. A lot of gays from Brazil, because mm. it's still persecution over there, you yes. know, uh, in, you know, implicit. Who would have thought, mm. you know, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago? Yeah. So it's been great progress. Mm. The, the progress, like, I always believed that the Irish are open-minded. You know, I've traveled the world. I've been to, I was just counting the other day, there was something on LinkedIn, and I've been to 67 countries around the world. And we're curious you know, we're, we we want to know, and if something, if we, I think the majority of people out there, if they see fairness and something and equality, they're willing to take a chance on it. There is a minority that go against it, but the the people that I hang around with and the people that I socialise with and the people that I know are, I know there's a group out of there that don't. Paul is nodding her head in disagreement, <laughs> but I don't associate with them. And mm -hmm. the they only way you, yeah, yeah. my family tribe, mm -hmm. and the only way that we can make people change is by showing that you have changed and only by what people see what you are doing then will set them to change as well. So you can't force it down people's throats going, you need to do this and this is what, just do what you need to do and then they will go on their journey on it. Mm. You can lead a horse to water but you can't make a drink. Yeah, it's, it's not about leading, it's about standing up, being who you are, the authentic person you are and by doing that then someone else might change on yeah. it. And that's it. That yeah. is leadership, though. Yeah. That yeah. is leadership. Yeah. A, a leader is someone who does. Yes, exactly. Yeah. A leader is not yeah. somebody who's a bystander. You've got yeah. to do something. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But it's leading from behind instead, yeah. instead yeah. of the front. Leading from the hat. Yeah. 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 Back to the hat. Yeah, on it. Yeah. So how, how is the industry taking your profession, Paula, that you are going into, you know, and how do you prep people that are going to go through to have an operation there's, there's a couple of levels. Um, you look at 
um, you look at strategies for their for their well-being going into surgery so you can give them strategies so that they can be feeling calm and confident but sometimes people have experienced a trauma which is suddenly becoming all too real for them now mm. and um, I actually find people are pretty staunch when they go to surgery it's coming out the other end yeah. and so my work has brought me to um, a lot of birth trauma women who really had a, a horrid time of it yeah. um, um, and hysterectomies women who are not recovering from hysterectomy yeah. and then that is bringing me to endometriosis so there's it's segueing all the time um, but looking at it, trauma has got so much to do with our health yeah. so much when and we are in a constant state of stress is it a fear of not waking up or is it a fear of just getting the operation? It could be the fear it's, of the like, hospital door. It could be the fear of the surgeon with a mask. It could be fear of change. Fear of a, anything. Yeah, yeah. It, it could be whatever you're scared of. Well, that's and is valid. it a big issue? Is it like like is it like flying? You know, there's people out there who are fearful of flying. Yes. If we really break it down, yeah. And what are the what are the the stats or the numbers of the people that are fearful of? Oh, I don't have I no, don't no, have statistics. Yeah, no, but but yeah. you know, they say you're going in for a major operation. Well, if I had my little finger operated on, that's pretty major for me as well. Yeah, as a heart. So, what, what about the industry? We talked about industry, but I, I, what pushback, if any, are you getting from the industry about what you're doing? Because it's kind of, um, it's a bit out there, you know? A little <laughs> lack of diversity. <laughs> okay. Probably like, hey, let's see how this works. Because it's new. Yeah. Mm. Um, it is new. And we're all used to just being very staunch and brave and getting on yeah, with it yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and kind of not recovering too well. So yeah, it yeah. is new. It's It's like... Let's be curious about this. I think yeah. there, there, there is that recognition as well that your your psychological and your physical health are intrinsically linked. Mm -hmm. So even though somebody may have come along and they may, you know, be worried about the physical operation, there's way more involved. The psychological can Absolutely. be can have actually a bigger impact on somebody. So what you're doing really is very important. That mental and emotional level yes. really impacts the physical. Indeed. Hugely. But yeah, yeah. we've been that it's our yeah. head is in charge of the game but it's not no it, it's it's the like soul. we really need to go in for the health check isn't it it's, yeah people need to really you know we all go in when we get 50 which i haven't got to be on my 50 yet <laughs> <laughs> is you know is a health check is it's the 50 and all my mates have turned 50 they go and get this the yeah, nct yeah. ready yeah. for yeah, to yeah. see how they are yeah is it something that we need to do more often. It's a stupid question, I know. For sure. But, but yeah, more often, yeah, For yeah, sure. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break, folks, and we'll be right back after this break. Your community radio for South Dublin. This is Dublin South FM. You're listening to Joe Dalton on Dublin South FM. Community radio with a global audience. Welcome back. So uh, we were just having a nice little chat there and uh, Joe nearly cut his ear off with the fan in the corner. It's hot in here. It's hot, isn't it? It is. It's hot. It's 22 degrees outside. It's probably maybe about 32 in here. Yeah. Nice. It's, it's, yeah. Plus, yeah. Yeah, it's really but, uh, horrible and sticky. Yeah, but that's what happens when you're outnumbered. <laughs> outnumbered. I'm always outnumbered. Yeah. Dude, always outnumbered. But I, I can, the energy, we're all bursting to say a lot of things and even slightly controversial things. And we'll be careful what we say because these are really emotive subjects. But, but, but just going around the table, do you have anything burning you want to discuss around what – start, start with you, um, Gillian, in terms of the work you do and some of the frustrations you see and some of the things you think could easily be fixed 
mm. with what you do? There's a list. What I would, there is a list, but I guess kind of the first thing is challenge the status quo. Yeah. The one of the things that really just I I get such a reaction when I hear it is, but that's the way it's always been. Huh. And I don't think that's acceptable. I think challenge the status quo. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And is that from like within organizations that oh, like do you get a lot of people everything. come to you and, and the reason I'm gonna bring it up is is that are being bullied. Yeah. Because I was once bullied and I remember working in a, in a situation where I was vomiting going in into work because mm-hmm. I was being bullied and I was being bullied by a manager. And it was only later on being able to look back at it yeah. that I kind of went, oh, my God. And I know that person is probably bullying other people still because that's what their attitude was. And it's scary because I, I'm you know, older now and I'm wiser now and I accept it. And I had to forgive that person. Like, I had to forgive them. And it was a big task in my own head to do it. Mm-hmm. But how do people, are people frightened to own up to say that they're being bullied? Yes, um, definitely. And I have a similar story myself to you, Joe. So yeah. I, I've come from that place. Yeah. Um, and even, I, I remember years ago going to a GP and needing, needing time off work. And he wrote stress on the certificate. And that caused me more stress mm. than, please write tummy bug. And he said, no, you need to own this, Gillian. And when I went into work and handed in the cert, the, the anxiety, that was when I, I knew something had to change in my life. The response I got was, well, we're all stressed. So it felt like the team had been carrying my absence. And it's so common. Workplace bullying is huge. And people don't want to speak out. They don't want to be seen as weak. And if everybody else can handle this, why can't I? What's wrong with me? And it becomes this internalized trauma, really, where you begin to think, I'm not good enough. I'm useless. I failed. When chances are, if that's the case for one, most of your colleagues are probably in that situation as well. Yeah. yeah. But what I realized as well, that there was the person that was causing me the issue. And there was, and I also then later on had the courage to blame the other people that were standing by and doing it as well, doing, who, yeah. doing nothing, doing nothing, nothing, because there's, there's, you, you all know that if say someone is beating someone up on the street and everyone stands there, there's a collective feeling. Yeah. Well, videoing. Yeah, yeah. videoing. Yeah. Oh, no one else is jumping in, so it's all right. Mm. I'm, all, I'm part of the collective here standing on it. But yeah, but that's, you know, that's what a lot of you you get it. Mm. Um, So I remember going to a doctor then and saying, says, I'm feeling very anxious about this. You know, I don't know if it's Mm -hmm. depression that I'm that I'm feeling. And this is the (laughs) same thing we go there. Are you grand? You're grand. Don't worry about it. Okay, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) And I I, a lot of clients say that because I I still practice as a therapist and a lot of clients would come in saying I went to the GP. And I was told to meal prep more or to manage my time better. Like, mm. But that's where it is. It's changing, isn't it? That's where <laughs> Sorry, I'm looking at a Sunday. You're yeah. not a cheating, cheating the pressure. <laughs> I'm going to be slightly controversial. And partially my experience is I, I would a lot of the time blame HR departments. And oh, yeah. There's probably HR people listening. But HR people generally are really good at policies and procedures. But yes. are, are they really concerned about the welfare of staff? I don't know. No, the more... Uh, uh, the, 
possibly they care more about the company than the individuals that are working in it. Yeah. Or more yeah. about their own paycheck. Correct. Why would you ruffle feathers and put your neck out yeah. if it may mean your job's on the line? And, and there's, there's, a nice, there's a nice little, uh, if you can envisage a triangle, the th- it's called the three R's that govern every organization, right? Every prof- for-profit organization. Risk, revenue, and reputation are the three things that companies, re- they're the only three things, right? And they've always traditionally been driven by rev- revenue and risk. But I think that reputation thing is and should become more and more important. I think it is, though. I mean, I think with social media, it definitely is, and with the mentality that a lot of millennials have. I think so. And I, ca- I can't think of any offhand, but there are websites you can go to to rate and review your employee or your employer. Yeah, yeah there's companies out there that you can go and, and give them the five stars and make yeah. a comment. But that's what it is. It is about reputation. And it's great yep. to see that the old, you know, born in the 70s and 80s, the way we were worked, and it was, you know, your mm. mum was... Your, get a job in the bank and get yeah. a job for life yeah. and you're great to get a job and be grateful where people now coming up in you know 18 19 and in their 20s they're looking at things different yeah. and they're kind of going yeah no meaning means more to me at the moment than anything else yeah. purpose mm. where for us it was emigration in the 80s emigration was everybody just left ireland yeah. because you had to there was no yeah. work here where people now are going no i i care Mm. Paula, for you, so what burning, so we've mentioned Gillian, uh, in terms of burning stuff in your industry that you, you're seeing, stuff you're really bursting to improve or to have an impact on? Health. Health, I think rather than maintain a state of ill health, you can actually attain good health um, by, by doing something different, by um, not suppressing with Xanax. I'm yeah, the anti-Xanax yeah. woman. Um <laughs> by looking at the positive intention behind the behaviour. So if you have a, a symptom where you freak out at something or you, and you're not sure, where did that come from? Why did I act like that? I don't know where it came from. Mm. Um, oh, I'll take a Xanax. No, no, no. Look at the positive intention of that freak out. What, where did it come from? What's it trying to tell you? Yeah. And that's like, well, that's where I'm thinking about bullying. It's a positive intention. Mm. They're possibly acting from fear yep. themselves and they don't see it as bullying because they're just covering their own backsides. Bullies are the big scaredy cats going. They yeah. are the big scaredy cats and you have to say what happened to you that yeah. makes you think that this is okay or make you know that this is the only way. Yeah. Uh, a good friend of mine runs a company in America called Sweethearts to, uh, Sweethearts to Heroes and they're all, all the guys are M- uh, professional MMA fighters but they call into schools and colleges and teach people about anti-bullying and it's about if somebody is being bullied stop and say stop doing that to that person mm. and if you get two or three people saying stop doing it to that person it deflates the bully mm. and by doing this across schools they're having a huge impact in the bullying that's going on because they're, the light is shone on their own behaviour so yeah. you can't yeah. just go and yeah. punch someone who's bullying yeah, someone yeah. else you can't yeah, just yeah. punch them out because you're bullying them yeah, yeah. Mm. and it's you're bullying the bully. it's you know the sweet mm. it's it's the you know the superheroes like these are all MMA professional MMA fighters and they all wear you know their thing was wearing yeah. nail varnish, you know <laughs> and and going in and going this is what we need to do yeah. and it, and it's working it is yeah. yeah so with health it's kind of the same thing if you if you have um, a health issue mm-hmm. um, 
if you have a phobia or a fear or a um, even an allergy, what is that actually trying to tell you? You don't just want to say, shut up, not listening, mm. I'm going to carry on, suppress, suppress, suppress. It's about let's, let's take a step back and see what the positive intention, the positive message is behind it, yeah. a little whisper. Yeah, yeah. And let's help that right at the root of the problem. Yeah, yeah. That's it's, good. It's, it's interesting having the three of you here. It's all about education. Yeah. That's it's what it is. Curiosity. Yeah. 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 Curiosity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is, you know. Mm. And self-empowerment. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I always say the three biggest issues which, which governs everybody, one is aban- being abandoned, mm. self-esteem and trust are the three issues yeah. behind everything. But with yourselves is, and it, it's, it's, Diversity, helping people. You're working on um, corporate, trying to get them to understand something. You're trying to fix GPs, you know, who are good at what they do um, but need and, a bit and, of structure. Yeah, and advocate f- uh, for what they do to a degree yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. And I think that sort of builds from what what Paula was saying. You know, um, with um, the free GP care, which has you know happened in the last few years where you have over 70s giving free you know getting free gp care and then expanding that to under sixes and now looking at expanding it to under 12s you've got people who are not taking responsibility now for their own health mm. and and that's something that is very important you know that whole education piece of people's first thought process is now let's go and see the gp let's go and see the doctor yeah. and they don't really need to see the doctor and if they if they have conversations to even look at what is the source of this, it's not necessarily medical. In fact, it's often not. Mm-hmm. In the UK, because it's free to go to the doctor, there are so many people who go just for company. Yes, you know, yes. It's so sad. Yeah. It's a three-week waiting list too. Yes, and yeah. that's going to happen with GPs as well. So even mm. when you have the likes of, you know, Gillian, if you say you go to your GP mm-hmm. and you feel possibly you weren't listened to, and and that's becoming more and more real because time is becoming. It's yeah. in a, it's a conveyor belt, indeed. Mm. But are are GPs then trying to change the way people see them? Absolutely, yeah, they absolutely are. I think they're becoming very frustrated as well because ultimately they want to provide good care. Yeah, there's only so much time in the day, and mm. um, the demand is much much higher than supply. Yeah, um, so many GPs are now turning people away; they can't take on mm. new patients, and that's just the fact of it. Now, a lot of that, and that damages the reputation of the industry, it, isn't it? It, it, the profession. Certain, it certainly has an effect. But then there are, there are people who would be going to the same GP generations; they would be going to the same yeah, GP yeah. for mm. for you know three or four generations of the same family. Yeah, could be attending. This this one GP or this one practice for years, yeah. so they're okay, they're safe enough. But anybody coming into the community now, they can't access the GP, and and plus then it, as you say, it could have an effect on their reputation because they just don't have that time to get to know people mm-hmm. in the it's, way it's that they used to. Interesting because I, I know someone. I put them in touch with a GP and they yeah. rang the GP up yeah. and they says, "Oh, we're too busy to see you." Mm-hmm. And I was yeah. got now. We've just spoke to this before. I haven't been yeah. to a GP in five years. And yeah. when I rang them up, they asked me, was the, it seen another We had doctor? that discussion before, yeah. yeah. There's also the GP receptionist thing. I'm not going to slag GP receptionist, but mm. they can be a bit gatekeeperish. I, I had that experience when we moved back from Australia two and a mm. half years ago, and I need to go and see a doctor, and I got some really ropey treatment from a receptionist yeah. until I said, 
this is the surgery my wife's been at for 20, 30 years, you know, and yeah. completely changed. They can be perceived as the fierce dragon, really, you really? know, looking after the GPs, but actually it's one of the most underestimated jobs in general practice. I'd imagine, yeah. They, you know, the, the people who do it are generally um, amazing. Oftentimes they don't get trained in their roles, mm. yeah. and that's probably one thing that is lacking. Yeah. Um, it's taken for granted that they're going to be able to come in and they're going to be able to do it. It's quite complex. Yeah. A lot of multitasking mm. involved. Mm. Yeah. You don't know on any given day of you know what's going to present at that desk and yeah. you have to be prepared. And not everybody is able to naturally do that. So that's both one of the other things that I do in best practice is yeah, recognize. Solicitors, a receptionist, I find probably the, the same. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. <laughs> don't remind me. Something we're, we're running out of time. Yeah. Where can people find you if you give us your details and okay. if they want it? So my best, my website is bestpractice.ie. So all my conti- contact details are on that, and I'm also on LinkedIn under my name, Asamta Gallagher. Um, actually, if you Google me, I'm easy enough to find. Yeah, do get on it as well. <laughs> Gillian? Under the Rainbow's website still in production, but we're on Facebook, Under the Rainbow, and we're on Instagram. Um, personally, I'm on LinkedIn, Gillian Fagan, and my psychotherapy practice, Acora Therapy, is acoratherapy.ie and also on social medias. And it's a great uh, page that you have on Facebook. Uh, some of the information that you do put it there is, it makes people think, so I can congratulate some you on that. Some controversial well. topics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And yourself, Paula, if people want to reach out and find um, your services. I'm at paularalph.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn under Paula Ralph Surgery Coach. And I oh know I'm on LinkedIn under Paula Ralph and Facebook Paula Ralph Surgery Coach. Excellent. Perfect. And Simon, where can people find you? Uh, SimonHaig.com. Nice and easy. Nice and easy. Like myself, JoeDalton.ie. Haig, as in whiskey, with an H on the end. I need that, to say that. that. That's it, on it. <laughs> and that's it, folks. Look, thank you, uh, the three of you, for coming in today. Uh, it's been a very us. relaxed afternoon. I've, um, I have a few things to do now to get my hair cut. <laughs> we have an event on. Myself and Simon have an event on tomorrow, which I know when you'll be there. I'll and see you there. The rest of you will miss it, and we'll see you in Galway. Yeah. <laughs> on it so look thanks for coming in and uh, everyone have a super weekend uh, enjoy this beautiful muggy weather and Simon you too and see you tomorrow see you tomorrow and thanks just for organising that event you've done an amazing job Joe. yeah I hope so we'll tell you tomorrow <laughs> we'll, find <laughs> we'll find out tomorrow <laughs> when I'm in the corner crying on that note and uh, to Danny our engineer Danny uh, take us out and take care bye you're listening to Joe Dalton on Dublin South FM Community radio with a global audience. Broadcasting from the Dundrum Town Centre, this is Dublin South FM.